welcome to another daily objective. So today's topic is the case against the UN. And I know what you're thinking. What's next, objectivists? Are you going to have a show called the case against kittens or the case against happiness? Because when I was growing up, the UN was had this status of the most virtuous institution in the world. When you say, when I grow up, I'm going to be a good person. You'd say, when I grow up, I'm going to work for the United Nations, work for world peace. And yet, is this the case? So why talk about the UN specifically today? Well, it is in the news. So, uh, so they, uh, they got the Nobel Peace Prize, the World Food Program that is administered by the UN. Today, we found out that this UN agency got the Nobel Peace Prize. And on something of less significance, maybe, yesterday, another uh, tweet by UN women became viral because it said, and I quote, that uh, we need to talk about, what's the term, uh, manterruption. So, you know, man's mansplaining, a man explaining something to a woman, supposedly what Biden did to Kamala Harris, although Razi explained this yesterday in detail. Now, yesterday, UN talked about manterruption. So, manterruption is, again, a man interrupting a woman. And this is what the tweet says. Let's interrupt the gender bias instead of the women we are speaking. We can all help stop the cycle of manterruption by recognizing it, calling it out and stopping an interrupter in his or her tracks. And then it, it also had something, it also had a mention about something about uh, epistemic something, something. So let me tell you something. I have a PhD in sociology, which is the most like left-leaning field. I'm teaching postmodernism. I couldn't understand that UN women tweet. Anyway, so two reasons I why thought man, I thought a man interruption was something very, very different. I don't know. Hey, what, what wait, didn't describing. you just man interrupt? Didn't you just man interrupt? <laughs> or does that does it count at all if you're interrupting another man? Is it a man interrupt? So, so yeah, he interrupted another man. And actually, you know what? I will use the exact. I will use the exact language. So what he did is he uh, he. He exhibited epistemic entitlement. So if someone knows what is epistemic entitlement, I've been trying out to figure it out since yesterday, but without, without much success. So before we also get into the topic, let me say one thing. You know how all these many prominent people are leaving California, trying to find a better future and a better life elsewhere. Equally, we will be leaving Facebook from Monday because... It hasn't been working for us. I mean, it has some days, but it is causing us problems. And because we respect our audience, we don't want you to be guessing every day, is this going to work? Is this not going to work? So we are migrating to YouTube. And same time, same ideas, same good energy and good content, but now live on YouTube. There's a good chance we can also post it on Facebook. So just mentioning it so that you keep it in mind. Okay. Today with us, Mark and Jonathan, who wants to cast the first stone to the UN? 
I think the man interrupter should go first. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll happily share some thoughts about, about the UN. I mean, you know, when I was a kid, like you, Nikos, and, and you know, first, actually, I want to mention to stay tuned to the Ayn Rand Center UK's Facebook page, because coming up right after our program here, they're going to be debuting a new video all about philosophy and effect, Who Needs It by Andy Bernstein. I've gotten a sneak peek, and it really is killer, so... Definitely follow Ayn Rand Center UK and check that out. Uh, now, let's yeah, that's going to be on YouTube, not Facebook. So when this video is finished, stay stay on the YouTube channel, and you're going to see the next one. The, You'll, see sort You'll see it. Sweet video, yeah. So I mean, in terms of the UN, I think like Unicos, you know, as a kid, I mean, you know, I, I looked at looked at the UN. You can see it here now, right? I'm sharing that screen. Yes, we can see it. Yeah, I mean, I, I looked at this and like you, Nikos, I mean, I saw this beautiful grandeur building and it almost looked like a, 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 a sanctuary in that major hall and the speeches. And I love the architecture. And, you know, as a kid, I, I feel like I thought I liked the UN, but now as an adult, I realize I just like the building. I don't, I don't like the UN because once I realized what the UN is all about. I mean, it is, if you take a moment and in ECOS, as you said, take a part of, of kind of that idealized notion, the UN is fundamentally corrupt. It is wicked to the core. Why? Well, you know, and, and you don't have to be a international scholar to understand this. It, its whole modus operandi, if you will, is egalitarianism. You know, at the UN, everyone's welcome. Come on in, you know, they're, they're non-judgmental. They, they look at Canada the same way as North Korea. You know, they say, oh yeah, hey, everyone gets one vote, doesn't matter. And this notion that I think you and I both shared, Nikos, as young people, that maybe this can help make worse governments better, right? Maybe that like if these shitty countries in Sudan and, and, and North Korea and Cuba, if they hang around with Americans and Canadians, maybe it would improve them. It doesn't. What it actually does is just legitimize the, legitimizes them. And, and, you know, Rand, obviously so prophetic, she talked about this. She talked about the sanction of the victim, the victim. And people say, oh, well, what's the big deal if we all just get in a room and talk? When you give Gaddafi a stage, when you give uh, Putin a stage, when you give North Korea a stage, I mean, you are legitimizing them. And I think if you want to look bigger picture, you're actually preventing any revolution in a lot of those countries, which could lose a lot of that. So, I mean, it, it's kind of, to be the, the UN uh, Human Rights Council is like the dead horse of the world because you've heard it so many times, but it's true. I mean, who's on the UN Human Rights Council right now? Venezuela, Libya, Sudan, Nambia, and Pakistan. You really want to be a part of that club? The only moral attitude to have to the UN is to get it out, sell that property, and have some beautiful private condos put up instead. <laughs> Now, let me give another example. So, so someone might not be still convinced. Someone might say, well, yeah, that's theory, but in practice it works. Here's how it works in practice. General Assembly 2019-2020, resolutions against Israel, 18. Resolutions against the rest of the world combined, seven. So Israel has almost three times <clears throat> than the amount of resolutions against this than the rest of the world combined. Now, notice which countries have zero resolutions against them. 
So, China, zero. Venezuela, zero. Saudi Arabia, zero. Belarus, Cuba, Turkey, Pakistan, Vietnam, Algeria. No problem with these countries. Uh, to be honest, I don't know what's happening in Algeria, but you know, I, I found the report that they had. There. Maybe, maybe they're innocent or maybe not. But anyway, but I know what's happening, for example, in China or in Turkey or in Venezuela or in Saudi Arabia. And it's it's what Jonathan said. The idea that the mere fact that you're a strong man or a thug and you have a regime and you call yourself a government, the, the fact that you get an equal say with everyone else, and it's like we're this big family, yeah, come here, Gaddafi, come here, Lukashenko, that is a moral disgrace. So be very careful. We, again, for once more, we are the moral agents here. In a way, the, the way to keep alive the dream of our youth, a world of peace, is to, is to call the United Nations for what it is, which is, what is this line in Star Wars in the first film, which is the only one I've watched, which it's like, you, that's the most corrupt thing. Anyway, I'm not a big Star Wars fan, but it's, it's one of the most corrupt pieces on earth. It's very difficult, even if you go to a gang's bar or something, that you find a place with so many evil and corrupt people there. And again, if someone thinks we are extremist or if we are exaggerating, tell me how else would you call regimes that throw gays from the roof, uh, torture people, execute people and they have uh, corpse co uh, groups of thugs going after and beating you and you disappear in the night if you're against the government anyway mark are we are we being too harsh here i mean uh, how <laughs> else do you bring world peace <laughs> by roundly rejecting most of the people on the un uh, human rights council um Look, I, I, I find that uh, people on the left who are enamored of this kind of thing um, are, tend, to be, to, tend to like their ideas more than the realities of things, right? Whenever I'm confronted with, with uh, an actor on stage who's, who's faking, uh, um, and then they tell me their story at the end, I say, well, saying it so doesn't make it so. And, and and it seems to me that the left largely thinks, well, because we say this is a kumbaya international family and harmony can be reached because we're a family, it must be so, when of course it isn't. As Jonathan said uh, earlier, alluded to earlier, um, you, any compromise with evil is a victory for evil, and yeah. that's why we that's why we see that's why we see the UN predominantly being an institution of evil. But aren't there also aren't there also uh, means by which to, to add to the evil that we're already seeing. Don't, don't uh, American politicians sign treaties with the UN, a UN a president will sign a treaty with the UN that has the effect of law in the United States even when it's not passed by the Senate. Do you guys know about this? So they could, they could sign it, say President Barack Obama could sign a treaty with the UN on arms dealing and guns and gun control which, it may, which may be tabled in the Senate, so it's not ratified, but after a certain amount of time, it has the rule of law in the United States of America. I find that insidious. Oh, sure, it's almost a de facto world government uh, that is ruled by democracy. And, you know, I, I forget, I think it was Mike Lee, who I'm not a, a fan of, but got a lot of, hot, a lot of heat this week about saying we're not a democracy. You know, we're not, and we shouldn't be. I mean, Nikos, as you said, 
you really want to be in a group that gives North Korea and Sudan and Libya the same vote as free countries. And we just tally around and say, okay, well, I guess the, you know, the, these corrupt countries, they got the vote. So that's the way we have to go. And Mark, as you said, I mean, the fact that laws binding or non-binding, even implicitly binding here in the U.S. are being passed by the U.N. Um, I mean, you know, I, I'd even go a step further and say not just withdrawal from the U.N., but Dr. Brooke, Dr. Yarrow Brooke has talked about this as well, is, you know, closing the embassy in China, for example. I mean, why would we have an American presence in these terrible, terrible countries? If people want to trade, if they want to visit, it's on them. But I just feel like, again, it's our sanctioning, American sanctioning of just despotic, I mean, you know, I don't want to turn it into uh, politics Tuesday, but the fact that Trump, you know, goes out of his way to talk about she is his friend and Kim is his friend. It's like, ugh, I wouldn't pick up the phone from from the, the leader of North Korea. I wouldn't take a phone call from him, let alone be in the same club as him. That should be our attitude towards the But US. you're not you're not a deluded malignant narcissist who thinks that your <laughs> words can convince anybody to do anything that you want. But here's, here's the characteristic of this show. We don't shy away from the difficult questions. So someone then is going to say, yes, but what about global problems such as global warming, poverty, uh, alleviating the pain of people who suffer from disasters and all that stuff? So within a particular context, this is a virtuous activity. So people come together and say, look, we don't like that suffering. Let's do something about this suffering, right? Now, here's the problem, though. A, when this is done through any moral institution, that's a problem instead. But let's, let's see the more specifics. What does the United Nations do for the poor of this world? They impose to them this idea of, quote, sustainable development, and this idea of, quote, the precautionary principle. Now, these are big principles that started from the United Nations. And basically, they make the industrial progress and the industrialization of some of the poorest countries very, very difficult. Because what it tells them is, if you want help, show me that your development will be sustainable. This, yeah. is, this is a way to tell them, prove me that you're not gonna, that your growth is gonna be very, very low. So our, there's, I know we all like Alex Epstein and his work on energy. So think about how crucial is energy for these countries, for all the poor people in the world, for all the developing countries. It's literally, literally an issue of life and death. So I'm not even buying that the United Nations are this hope and this kind of humanitarian institution. Actually, it's making these countries more, their progress more difficult. If actually they wanted to help, they would say, look, what do the countries that are rich doing? Do the same, encourage freedom, encourage free enterprise, encourage free trade, no is no buts, encourage cheap energy, encourage plentiful energy, encourage reliable energy. Is the UN doing any of these things? I'm not sure it does. So the other day, for example, uh, the general secretary of the UN, they said, coming out of COVID, they said, this is the time to rebuild more equal, inclusive and resilient societies. And when you went to read the actual thing, it uses, you know, you know I never use the term neo-Marxist because I hate, that, that, that means nothing. This guy literally uses 
arguments that are taken from the radical autonomous marches of the 70s. At some point, he mentions a big problem in the world is that women are doing unpaid home labor. Now, you might, again, you might not know what this is, but this is someone who is, who, who, whose political position is against whatever we'd consider as making the life of people better. So he has found this cozy corner of using this language that sounds kind of, that sounds uh, liberating that, yeah, you know, women do, women do unpaid labor and he wants whoever is doing unpaid labor, not having access, for example, to cheap and plentiful energy. So anyway, that was, that was a lengthy yeah, run. Yeah. So the rest yeah, I know. Yours. I mean, Nikos, you know, what we should want to see, and, you know, Rand writes about this, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but something to the effect of like, take a look at those sooty smokestacks and be as thankful as you can for them. And right, we would love, we, you know, if you value people's lives at the end of the day, you should want nothing more than to see Africa have tons of sooty smokestacks and machines and carbon emissions all over it. Because it means that a lot of those people in Africa who now live in these sub-Saharan, I mean, really terrible, terrible type of, types of conditions are living, are creating wealth, are moving into the, forget even middle class. I mean, you know, it's like, why isn't uh, the Sudan as prosperous as Alabama? I mean, there's no reason. And it's because, as we always say, it goes back to those fundamental ideas. And, and the UN, as you said, Razi, I mean, if they really wanted to help people in need, if they really wanted to relieve the poor, I mean, what they should do be, what they should be doing is advocating for freedom, for capitalism. That is the only thing in history that's ever helped people climb out of for freedom in a sustainable way, if you want to talk about uh, sustainable. But, you know, that's, that's not the philosophy that guides it. So I go back to that notion of, you know, why, why are we even involved? And as you said, well, what's going to happen then? I mean, look, I, I stay away from politics as much as I can. I'm, a, I'm an investor. But my sense is, is like, we should model it as a country. Be that beacon of independent, free capitalism, where individuals are free to live their own lives, unencumbered, unmolested by government, and let everyone else follow our lead. You know, it worked quite well, I believe quite well for a lot of the 90s, um, but we're moving in the opposite direction now. Certainly don't be a part of something as evil as the UN that sanctions all this immoral, anti-man, anti-life behavior. Mark, any comments? Well, I mean, once again, it's, it's, uh, it's people on the left who, who think saying it so makes it so and not recognizing how horribly damaging their ideas are in reality. Paul Dreesen wrote a great book about this called Eco-Imperialism. Um, oh yeah, that's, that's, that's a good book. That's a good it, book. It, it is a very good book. And, and, and I, think, I think it's hard for someone on the left to get past the visual of a smokestack to understand that that smokestack enables progress and wealth production, which in turn enables sustainable development in its own right. Because the more you develop, the less dependent on raw materials you are. And the, the higher your technology, the less dependent on raw materials you are. And that's why we're seeing a resurgence, a resurgence in forestation all over Europe and all over North America. Why? Because not, not from environmental policies, but because we had to go through that stage of development because industrial farming shrinks 
the the amount of land you have to use to feed more people and tech agro tech shrinks the amount of land that you have to use for human cultivation and enables uh, ecosystems to come back and research but unfortunately the left can't get past the smokestack part of it first and, and mark i think you'd probably agree too is that you know they they love the un and many on the right too because there's that sense of like oh america is just like any other country hey you know we've got our thing and that is what it is, but it's no better or worse than North Korea. It's no better or worse than the entitlement state of Europe. It's no better or worse than the, the fascist totalitarian state of China, right? I mean, it's just that sense of, hey, egalitarianism, we're all equal. No one's better or worse than any others. I mean, you know, I think the American exceptionalism, you say, you know, uh, the American way of life, and I'd include the West and a lot of, you know, the modern world, like, yeah, that's a lot better than what goes on in the Middle East. That's a lot better than what goes on in North Korea and China. Uh, leaving maybe. people free is is moral. It's right. It yeah, but maybe it's because the right doesn't define exceptionalism in a way that people can really grasp. Like you just sure, they did. think exceptionalism it's, means buying a hat made in America. Yeah. And it's really about being That's free. A, and it's about the relationship of the individual to the state that's so different in America than anywhere else. I'm yeah. just checking out here. Uh, I bought the Echo Imperialist book in 2013. And it reminds me that it was... I can even remember changing my mind on real time reading this book. So it's, I, I had even forgotten that I had read, but it's, it's one of these, and it's so evil what is happening with the developing world. The, the, the impact that the green agenda has on these countries is, when you think about it, it's, gonna, it's really, really, really frustrating. But I want to say one last thing to as parting thoughts. I mentioned that uh, the UN, the, the general secretary of the UN, used a very old fringe Marxist idea that everyone who does domestic labor should be paid. The question is by whom, but that's another. But <laughs> I want to bring an issue on that. Ayn Rand at some point said, the uncontested absurdities of today are the accepted slogans of tomorrow. So here's why I brought this up. A fringe idea in the 70s that the only reason I knew it is because I was interested in fringe Marxist movement of decades ago, today is in the United Nations. So here's my message, dear conservative friends. While you're very busy getting your guy elected and saying, oh, this is objectivist, who cares about ideas? This right. is how the battle of ideas is won. This is the weird ideas that you don't fight very properly today, two, three, four decades from now will be the accepted slogan of the most prominent institution in the world. So that's why I think it's important to fight the battle of ideas. Who is fighting this battle? The Ayn Rand Center UK. So, and also to help Razi being able to manage in which platforms we are streaming, I encourage people to, to consider uh, helping with the good work ARC UK is doing. Go to the website, become a member, and contribute to this, the very good things that are happening. So how about we call it a day? We give two minutes to people to breathe, and then they stick to the YouTube channel for the next short, cool, uh, animated video with uh, the voice of our common friend, Andy Bernstein. So Jonathan and Mark, thank you so much, and we will see you in a future event. Bye-bye. You guys, thank you.